Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. They're a simple thought. Um, most of my messages are very simple thoughts. Are there, are there some other preachers here tonight that weren't here last night? Is there, have any others joined us? Okay. I'm saying because I, 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 you know, I know who the preachers are now. And it helps me a lot because I kind of keep an eye on them. And when I say something and they go, <laughs> that really helps me. It, it helps me. I say, oh, okay, I won't go back to that one. I won't say. <laughs> Probably one of my most embarrassing moments in the pulpit, I was preaching um, a message that I preached out of First Timothy or uh, Second Timothy. Uh, where Paul said, uh, he said, I've, I've fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. You know, he says, I am ready to be offered the time of my departure is at hand. And I have a message I preach sometimes on, I am ready. Are you ready? I talk about to be ready to face the Lord. He was ready to die. For us to be ready to die, uh, how, was, how can he say that? How can he say, I'm ready? Well, he know, you know, he, uh, um, uh, uh, he said, uh, 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 he, you know, he was sure he was sure of his salvation. He said, "I know whom I have believed, and to persuade that he is able." My second point is that he was he was uh, 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 he was uh, sure of the scriptures. He said that uh, that um, that he was um, uh, he said you know uh, um, in, in 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 chapter oh chapter three he says um, he says um, uh, uh, oh. That's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, righteousness. So he's sure of his. He was. He was sure of his, uh, of his uh, salvation, and uh, he was sure of his service. He said, "I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I finished my course." He had nothing to be ashamed of, to stand before the Lord. He was sure of his salvation. He was sure of his scriptures. He was sure of uh, of his service, and then lastly, he was sure of his Savior. He said, "Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness." which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me. I didn't have it in my notes. But as I was, as I was making the point about he was, he was sure of his reward, he was sure his Savior was going to make, you know, give him whatever he deserved. He was going to, uh, not what he deserved you know, humanly. But, and I made the statement. I said, yes, because the Bible says, you know, over in, over in, in Hebrews chapter 11, that he's a rewarder of them that diligently serve him. And for those of you who know your Bible, you know I just misquoted it. It wasn't in my notes. I hadn't written it down. I didn't look it up. But I was talking about serving the Lord, serving the Lord, serving the Lord, and it just slipped out. I said, I said, um, I said he was rewarded them diligently serve him. And then I, that sounded so good to me that I parked there for a minute. I said, you hear that? He's not a rewarder of them to just sit in a pew. He's not a rewarder of them to just come part-time. He's a rewarder of those that get busy and serve him. I spent about five minutes preaching on my misquote. Never caught it. I never caught it. We got done. We went out. I'm standing in the lobby greeting people, and a man came by. And he said, Pastor, can I, can I ask you, do I have the points right? He was sure... Of his salvation, he was sure of the scriptures. He was sure of, of, of his service. He was sure of his savior. 
And I said, right, you got it. He goes, are you sure of your scriptures? <laughs> the moment he said that, I didn't even have any context, but the moment he said that, it popped into my mind what I had done. I've never had an, I've never had a Sunday afternoon with as much turmoil in me. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt I felt I, I I couldn't wait to get back Sunday night and apologize to the people and offer my resignation. And, and you know, <clears throat> it was uh, I, I've I've never forgotten that, and I've never quote, misquoted that verse again. So it's a, others, but no, no, no. So. so. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Would you turn in with me if you're not there yet? I'll just read a couple of verses that I want to give you a little bit of context around them to, 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 make, my, to make the point tonight. But in fact, I'm not going to do this. Let's begin reading in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep, if you, uh, you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I deliver unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas and then of the twelve. After that, He was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. But some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James and then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. Here's my text. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed on me, notice these words, please, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Please speak to hearts tonight. I pray that you would please move on the hearts of people. And we'll thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know anything about your finances personally, so there's no way I would, no way I could know. But I know we live in a day that many people who have had investments in the stock market, things like that, have bemoaned how much value they've lost over the last few years through COVID and then uh, the last couple of years and people, people talking about how much, you know, I, I've, I've had people tell me that their, their 401ks or whatever they have, what their retirement funds have have, have lost 40, 50, 60 percent of their value. And, um, and, 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 and I, think, I think, man, that's, 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 uh, 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 that's tough. My grandfather um, uh, lived in the Depression years, and he was, a, um, uh, he, he was a manager for Safeway during those years. And um, he... Uh, he, uh, 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 when they were coming out of uh, the Depression, they couldn't pay them you know, the, the, the dollar value they wanted to. So 
they made it up by giving them stock ops. They gave them, they gave them stock as part of, their, part of their pay. And he worked for a while at Penny's, and they had done the same thing, J.C. Penny's. So coming out of the Depression, he had quite a bit of stock in, 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 in Safeway and in Penny's. And, of course, after the uh, Depression years, those companies just went, you know, went uh, uh, berserk. He made a lot of money. And I remember hearing uh, my grandfather talk about that, how he made a lot of money. His retirement was all built up in his, in his Safeway stock and his Penny stock and a few other things. Now, I was, I've never been in the stock market uh, up till what I'm about to tell you. Uh, I, just didn't, I, just, I just didn't have any money to put in the stock market, you know. I put it in the supermarket, and uh, you know, and so uh, we we just you know we just just didn't uh, didn't have much. But I thought about when COVID hit. I thought about all the stocks, like the airline stocks, that just went you know they just plummeted and went down almost to to zero. And I thought, I thought you know maybe I can learn something from my grandma. I mean from my, from my grandpa and pick some of those things that you know for sure are going to come back. And so I picked a few stocks. The entire investment in the stock market is about two thousand dollars. So we're not. I just tried to do it to see, to see if I could, you know, see if my choice would be good. See if I could make it work, right? So I bought some. I think Delta Airlines. I bought some. Uh, I bought Six Flags, you know, because it was just down to zero, and you knew those would come back eventually. Uh, I bought a couple of things like that. I, I, I uh, uh, the um, the gun companies were going out of, you know. Out, out of this world with the, their stock prices going up, Smith and Wesson and and uh, and, um, and Ruger and some of those were just they were they were going up. So I looked for something that was in that realm, kind of so maybe something that was in the in the in the outdoors uh, equipment kind of kind of realm, and I found one, and 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 I bought it. I I uh, bought a few a few shares. I'm, I'm talking three or four or five shares of these things, right? And I'm buying, I bought some GM and just some, just some different things. And it did exactly what I envisioned it might do. And they all began to grow when COVID was over. They're coming out of COVID. They all began to grow. The one that grew the best was that, uh, was, uh, 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 that, uh, that outdoors equipment stock. I guess people were just, you know, people are getting ready for the, you know, for the end, and they're, you know, so, uh, is, I, I, I got all this stuff, and, um, and everything that I bought was, began to grow, and like I said, I, I didn't have a lot of money into it, so I didn't make a lot of money on it, but, but, but it, it uh, you know, my plan worked, it's the kind of thing I'm, I'm looking at myself going, gee, why didn't you put more money into it, but then my sister came to me, and she said, um, she said, hey, I, I, I just bought a stock, I said, you did? She said, yeah. It's a stock that, um, that, um, uh, that, that, uh, that Bill Gates is behind. And um, they're, uh, they're doing research on, these, uh, on the batteries and trying to come up with a, with a better battery for electric cars and things like this. And so um, she said, uh, she said, uh, my stockbroker says this is going to be probably the next big thing, like, you know, you know, like 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 Microsoft. You know, I know a guy who bought a thousand dollars with Microsoft when it first came on the market, and that that investment will fund his retirement. Just that one investment. Microsoft has gotten so big and 
split so many times that it's just, he's got a lot of money in that one $1,000 investment. So I'm thinking, oh man, here's another one. Time said, so I, I, um, I looked it up and it started at about $40 a share and it had begun to increase very, very quickly. If I was going to do something with it, I'd better do it fast. So I, I got on and I, and I ended up buying five shares of this company at $100 a share. It had gotten up to 100 very quickly. Well, within just a couple more weeks, it was up at $250 a share. So I'm going, wow, that was a great investment. And then started to come down and down and down. When it got back to the $100, I thought, well, it'll, it'll, it, they do that. They'll swing. I'm not going to be a scared investor. <clears throat> Today, that company's stock is selling for less than $10 a share. It was a terrible investment. Now, my sister says that her stockbroker is still saying, no, 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 hold on to it. <laughs> well, there's no sense. I mean, there's, there's no sense in selling it at this point. It's worth nothing, you know. So we'll see what it does from here on out. But I lost I lost about three four hundred dollars. Well, almost five hundred dollars. And I thought, boy, that was not a very good investment. I want you to look at something and understand why I'm using this illustration. In verse ten, he said, "But by the grace of God, I am what I am." And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. He said, what God did for me is paying off for the kingdom of God. I labored more abundantly than them all. If you looked at your life in God's eyes as an investment, God gave his son. He invested in your life. He saved your soul, gave you a home in heaven, gave you an indwelling Holy Spirit. And you think of all of that as his investment in your life. How's the quarterly report? How's the report on your life? Is he getting much out of the investment? Are you a Microsoft? You've grown and grown and grown and you're serving the Lord and God is using you and you're a great investment. Or would your life be more like that that thing I bought into? <laughs> God's put much in your life. He gave his son to die on the cross for you and maybe he's not getting much back. I don't know that. I'm just trying to get you to think. I want to give you some simple thoughts about the grace of God here in this passage. Number one, I want you to see that Paul understood the grace of God. In verses 1 through 7, he talks about the gospel and what uh, Jesus, and he gives a, uh, you know, he, he gives a beautiful description of the, of the gospel. He says in verse 3, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he ro- and, uh, uh, that he was buried, And he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Then he he details all the people who saw him alive. The proof that he was alive. 
Paul understood that this was a product of the, of the grace of God. That's why this happened. He said in his own writings, he said over in Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith. He said you gain it, you, 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 you appropriate it by faith, but it's the grace of God that makes it possible. Do you understand what the grace of God really means? And, and I, I'm not trying to talk to Andy, but I'm just saying, I spent a couple of years ago um, studying a, a, a thick book that was just entitled Grace. And I, 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 I read it, I studied it, and I, I just wanted to see everything that this particular author had said about grace. And I came away with some very simple but some very, I think, very important uh, understandings that I had. Do you know that the grace of God means that there's absolutely no effort or work on your part that went into seeing you saved? None. If there is any, if you think that anything you did helped get you saved, then you may need to reexamine it. I'm not trying to make anybody doubts about salvation, but I'm just saying. It's nothing. You know, there are some people that teach that, yes, you can trust Christ your Savior, ask Him to save you. Yes, that faith is important, but then you better live it. If you don't live right, you'll lose it. Wait a minute. Ultimately, then your salvation is from your living. Folks, that's work salvation. Grace says you had nothing to do with it. The littlest bit of thing that you did to see yourself get saved negates grace. God didn't give you salvation because of anything you did. He gave it to you by His own grace. Unmerited favor is one definition. Unmerited. You didn't earn it. You couldn't earn it if you tried to earn it. Now, do you know what that means? That means if your salvation and God's, God's love for you is not based on anything you've ever done, then do you know that there is nothing you can do to make Him love you more? Well, I go to church every Sunday, and I go to church and I work, and I, and I, uh, I get involved in this and this, and I, and I, and I sort of and I clean the church, I, all these things I do. Surely God appreciates that. Yes, God appreciates that, but it has nothing to do with His grace. That doesn't make him love you anymore. Listen, when he loves you fully and completely, he can't love you anymore. Now, I believe that the way we serve the Lord, I believe that brings blessings into our life. But it's not because he loves us more. He just said, you know, he said that if we would serve, we give him our life. That he would answer our prayers. He would bless our lives. He would, there's things he would do. So I'm not saying that he doesn't ever respond to the way we... But he doesn't love you anymore. His love for you is not changed by all the good things you do. But you know what's really great about that? He doesn't love you any less, no matter what you do. Now that's harder for me to get my mind around than he... His love is perfect, so... I, I can understand he couldn't love me anymore. But surely I committed this sin. He must be so disappointed in me and maybe he doesn't love me as much. No, 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 no. He loves you like he ever has, no matter what it is you've done. Amen. Disappointed? Sure. Like any father would be. 
withhold some blessings? Sure. He said, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord won't hear me. Prayers have gone unanswered. Even sometimes to the point of chastening in our lives? Sure. But none of that has anything to do with how much He loves you. The grace of God is a wonderful thing. A wonderful thing. To understand it is something that will just encourage our hearts and encourage our lives. The Apostle Paul understood the grace of God as he explains what God did in their lives right here. But not only does he understand the grace of God, he appreciates the grace of God. Let me show you. Look what it says here. He said, he said and last of all, verse 8, Last of all, he was seen of me also as one born out of due time. That term born out of due time, it, 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 uh, it has the idea of, and there's a lot of different explanations for it, but, but uh, the majority of them still, still, still kind of center around the idea that it, when he said out of due time, it means before, before a child was due, so a premature child. And the idea of it here is he said, I was one born out of due time, spiritually speaking. And he said, you know, when a, when a, preemie, when a preemie was born, many times, especially, you know, in, in days gone by when they didn't have all the medical facilities they have today, that child may be, may be hindered for their whole life. They're born and they're very weak. And uh, even if they, if they get stronger, uh, a little bit. It, it's a, they may never get back to the level of where other children born at a normal, you know, uh, a, a time period. And so he's he's talking about his own weakness. He's talking about 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 how 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 you know what, what a weak of a Christian he feels like. He says, is, is, "Man, I was one born out of due time." And then he goes explains that further by saying this. For he says. He says, for I am the least of the apostles. That I am not meet, not, it's not suitable even to call me an apostle, he says. I'm the least of the apostles, that I am not meet to be called an apostle. Because I persecuted the church of God. Paul looked back on the things he'd done, the life he'd lived. People were in jail because he arrested them. People were beaten because he brought them into the Roman jail. People were dead and lost their life because of Paul's work in bringing Christians to justice. He looks back now as a child of God and as a preacher of the truth and he sees the heart of God like he never saw it before. And he's ashamed of himself for the way he lived his life. He's ashamed of himself for the things he did. And folks, memory can be a wonderful thing. We think about our children. We think about the things we've been through in our life and good memories. But memory can be a horrible thing too. And Paul understood. I don't think he beat himself up about it. But he honestly said, I'm not even suitable to be called. They shouldn't even call me by that name. Let me show you something. Just for a moment, we'll come right back here. But would you turn to Ephesians chapter 3? Ephesians 3, then we'll go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Look at Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3. 
speaking to the church of Ephesus, he makes this comment in verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. Now think about this for a moment. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. That's still a pretty good crowd to be in, isn't it? What if I told you, I said, you know, I, I have a million dollars, but the truth is I am, the, I am the, the poorest of all the millionaires in the country. I just have right on a million dollars. Other people have a million, million and a half. Other have two million and five million and a hundred million. And so I'm the poorest of all the millionaires. Now, I'm trying to just illustrate a point. You'd say, you still got a million dollars. I know. Paul says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Now, he was sincere, and I'm not trying to, trying to take anything away from what he said. But being an apostle is still a pretty good crowd. You know what I mean? But then when he writes to the, to the people of Ephesus, he evaluates himself a little bit differently than that. He says who am less than the least of all saints. He said, I'm not just the least of all the saints, all the Christians. I'm not the worst one, but I'm less than the least of all saints. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1 to verse 15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. We hear him at one point say, I'm the least of all the apostles. Then he says, you know, I'm less than the least of all saints. And then he says, no, 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 worse than that. I'm the chiefest of all sinners. First Corinthians was written in 54 A.D. Ephesians was written in 61 A.D., seven years later. In 64 A.D., three days later, I mean three years later is when he wrote 1 Timothy. I'm trying to point out something to you. The closer he got to God, the worse he saw of himself. When I was a kid, I used to play with my mother's makeup mirror. You know what I'm talking about? The little one that swivels. You know, a little round mirror, it swivels on it. And on one side, it's just a normal mirror. I remember the first time. I, I remember like it was yesterday. The first time I ever turned that thing over and went, whoa! <laughs> I could see the pores of my skin like craters on the moon. I couldn't believe how much I could see with that mirror as opposed to the other side. Folks, the closer you get to the light, the more flaws you see. You ever fix yourself up in a place where it was maybe a little dim and you just, you know, okay, it looks, it looks fine. Then you got out in public and you went, oh, my goodness. As Paul grew spiritually, as Paul grew closer to the Lord, the worse he saw of his own spiritual condition. Went from describing himself as the least of all saints to the less than the least of all, I mean, to the least of all apostles to the least, less than the least of all saints, and then finally to the chiefest of sinners. I was in a meeting one time where I was preaching one night, and um, two other preachers were going before me. So I was the third preacher that night. One guy got up and he said, he said, um, 
At least I know that the Bible says that the Apostle, that the Apostle Paul said he was the chiefest of sinners, but I, I know better than that. He said, I think I'm the chiefest of sinners. Well, when the second guy got up, he introduced us. He said, you know, I appreciate what our brother said. I appreciate the, the uh, humility, but there's no doubt in my mind that I'm the chiefest of all sinners. Now, I was third. <laughs> Am I going to be really humble like the two of them? Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, folks, I want to tell you something. I believe the Bible is inspired of God. And when Paul said he was the chiefest of all sinners, I believe the Holy Spirit led him to say that, and that he was the chiefest of all sinners. Not him, him, or me. So, so the Bible says, I believe it. But I'm just trying to point out the fact that Paul, as he grew in the Lord, as he grew closer, got closer to the light of Jesus Christ, the more flaws he saw in himself, which made him appreciate the grace of God even more. I've met people that seem like they believe that they're God's gift to the world. And I think they struggle sometimes to understand God's grace on their behalf. But God's sure lucky to get a hold of me. (laughs) No way. Paul understood the grace of God. Paul appreciated the grace of God, and this is my favorite part of this. Paul was motivated by the grace of God. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's God's grace that brought me to where I am today. It's God's grace that saved me. It's God's grace that that helped me to grow. It's God's grace that kept me alive. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And whether you recognize it or not, it's only by the grace of God that you are who you are today. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he said, and his grace, which was bestowed on me, uh, bestowed upon me, was not in vain. In other words, I don't want God's investment in my life to be worthless. I don't want it to be, to be empty. I don't want God's investment in my life to pay no dividends. I don't want God's investment in my life to be an Enron. He said, I want God to... I want God to feel like he got his investment out of my life. He said, so I labored more abundantly than they all. Again, I don't believe for one second this is a comparison that Paul's making, being prideful and being better, thinking better than anybody else. I think he was just stating his own drive. He said, I labored more abundantly than them all because of what he did for me, because of his grace in my life. I believe it amazed Paul every time he looked in a mirror. When he knew where he came from, he knew what he was. And he understood what God did for him. Thank God that we don't have to tell everybody our whole life story. Thank God that I don't have to tell anybody about my days before I got saved, my days in the military. I don't want to. There are things about my life before I became a Christian that my children will never know. We just don't talk about them. Because I'm ashamed. 
I don't have the privileges God's given me to be a preacher and to pastor a church and to have people that love me as their preacher. I don't, that, that, that didn't come to me because I deserved it. That's the grace of God. Amen. I don't have two beautiful, wonderful children, six great, great uh, 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 grandchildren and two mediocre son-in-laws. But um, I don't, uh, I don't have, no, I, they're, they're great, great men, great men. Um, you know, uh, there's, a, there's a joy in that in a man's life. Some of you I know are, 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 are at that stage of your life. But there's a joy in that to know that I could die today and my children and grandchildren are going to be just fine because they have good men leading their homes. Amen. You know, I have a peace about that. That's all by the grace of God. I don't live the way that I live to pay back. I don't try to do the things I do to try to prove I'm a better Christian than somebody else. None of that. I'm as grateful as I could possibly be for what God has done for me. And all I'm doing is trying to show my gratitude. I've had people question me about being an independent Baptist. You've got so many rules and stuff. I said, I don't have any rules. So you've got to do this and this and this. You've got to go to church all the time. You do I said, I don't have any rules at all. All things are lawful unto me. <laughs> yeah. But why do you live the way you do? Because he loved me. Amen. Because my God sent his son to die. I was in the hospital one night. I had, um, I had swelled up in my face, you know, and, and, and uh, um, uh, uh, I had been sick for a while. And so it was New Year's Day and I had got up in the morning, just put my, like my sweats on and I got a blanket and I, uh, got my recliner down the family room, and I was going to watch football. And uh, I had some, you know, a couple times my wife sent some, you know, brought some things down to me and got me some sort of drink and some snacks. But I was just going to sit and watch football. So I had been all day in that chair. I hadn't, I hadn't been in, a, I hadn't been in front of a mirror. And so I, I heard my youngest daughter come in, Krista. She came in and her family, and they were upstairs. And so I said, I'm going to go up and just see how they're doing. I want to say hi to him. And so I went upstairs. And when I appeared upstairs, Krista looked over at me. She went, what is the matter with you? I said, what do you mean what's the matter with me? She said, you look like a monkey. Now, I didn't see what she saw. So my answer was, the closest one that looks like me in our family is Krista. So I said, well, then you look like a monkey too. <laughs> she looks so much like me, and she's, and she's, she's beautiful. I determined I would have been a good-looking girl. But, um, <laughs> but, but I'm not. But I'm not. <laughs> so I looked at her, and I said, uh, I said, what do you mean? She said, you look like a monkey. And I said, well, you do too then. And she goes, no, Dad, I'm serious. Your lips are swollen. And, and my wife looked up and she went, she's right. I went into the mirror and, boy, my lips were. And I, had, I was having a reaction to one of the medications I was on. And so they rushed me to the hospital. And, I mean, you know, in the car. We didn't call ambulance or anything. They got me in there. And immediately they said, oh, no, you've got to. You actually gave me some, oh, some medicine. Uh, they gave me EpiPens to carry then after, after that. And I was having an allergic reaction to one of the medications I was on, and they wanted to keep me overnight. So here I am, New Year's night, 
and I'm in the hospital. And after everybody's gone, and it was it was it was quiet. A young a young uh, doctor came in, a young female doctor, and she's very pleasant. And she came and said, "I just need to check you, just check your vitals and things." And so we were talking, and and um, and she said, "What do you do for a living?" I said, "I'm a pastor." And she said, "Oh, really?" And she seemed very pleasant about it. I said, uh, "Hey, pastor churches again." And I told her, "So we came, we came here in 1981, started the church." And she said, "Oh, that's interesting." And she was just being very, very friendly. So I'm thinking, well, this doctor has at least an openness to the things of God. She's being so friendly. And so I said, um, "Are you a Christian?" And she looked at me and said, "Don't go there." I mean, her whole her whole, her whole face changed. Everything. She said, "Don't go there. I have no interest whatsoever in talking about 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 organized religion. I don't like organized religion." So I said, "Then you'd love our church. We're not very organized." <laughs> I wanted to get a little bit of lightheartedness back into the conversation as quickly as possible. But she didn't buy that. She looked at me and said, no, no, I, I'm serious. And I looked at her and I said, you know what? I agree with you. She said, you agree with me? What do you mean? You said you're a pastor. I said, yes, ma'am. And I don't like organized religion either. I said, I don't know if anyone's ever told you this, but Christianity is not a religion. Amen. It's a relationship. I said, I don't have a religion. I said, but I believe truly in my heart that the God of this universe loved me so much that he sent his son to die on a cross so my sins could be forgiven. And I got teary-eyed as I was saying it. I, I didn't expect that. I, 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 I don't know that I've ever talked to anybody that simply like that before. But I just explained that I love him for what he did for me. And I got teary-eyed. And she stopped and she said, I've never heard anybody talk about their faith like that. I said, well, that's what it is. There are a lot of organized religions out there, and I know exactly what you're talking about. But true Christianity is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, man, I'd like to talk to you more. whole thing changed. Do you love him? Can you look and see what he did for you and love him for it? God's grace deserves your gratitude. Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace bestowed on me was not in vain. I'd labored more abundantly than them all. What are you doing for the Lord? What are you doing just for him? I'm not talking about for the church. We may do it through the church, but I'm just saying, for him, what are you doing in your life to demonstrate your gratitude for what he's done for you? Do you know you can give and not be grateful? Just throw a buck in as it comes by. You can serve. And truly not be grateful. Yeah, I'll put in my time. I'll do my thing. Okay, I'll do it. 
You can even be nice to other people and kind and stuff with no gratitude at all. You're just trying to be a good person. But you can't truly be grateful for all that God has done for you and not want to spend your life proving it. By the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. And the grace bestowed on me was not in vain. But I labor more abundantly than they all. Would you bow your head with me, please? I wonder, a simple question. I wonder how many of us might say, you know, I'm not sure that my love or my gratitude is really where it ought to be. Maybe you've never really thought about it from these terms. But you think about the Apostle Paul and what he said. Can you see that the grace of God has made you what you are today? The good things, the, the walk with God, the, the relationship you have with, with God, the opportunity to pray and come to the throne of grace, all of that because of God's grace in your life. I wonder if you might say tonight, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I've really understood fully what his grace means. And I'm not sure that I'm appropriately demonstrating my thanks for that. But I want to, going forward, please pray for me. That's a very straightforward question. We just slip up a hand and say, Preacher, I needed that tonight. Please pray for me. How may God bless you and you and you and you and you. As I've said the last two nights, please, if the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart, please don't ignore Him. Respond to Him. Father, thank you so very much for every bit that you have done in our lives and even for tonight for speaking to hearts, for moving in the lives of people. Help us, Lord, to respond to you however you desire for us to respond. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.